This is The Uprising, starring Steve Alquist. I'm your host, Greg Brailsford. Today, we speak to grade school kids to learn how COVID-19 has impacted them. Plus, we discuss the most important bills introduced this past week at the State House. Welcome to The Uprising, everyone. Steve, you've had quite the busy week. Uh, I always do. And uh, it, the State House has been really busy. This last week, the State House was off. And it was still really busy because many, many things started to be happening behind the scenes, right? We were putting bills in. We were scheduling meetings for this week, um, hearings in the legislative committees to discuss some of the bills. And some of the bills coming up are really, really important, I think, to many, many Rhode Islanders. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit, too. Like Me, too, the- man. I'm, I'm excited because you had, you had done a, a thread. If you're not following Steve on Twitter, please do so. We, we retweet a lot of his stuff with Uprise, but sometimes... Uh, especially long, long threads. We don't retweet everything. So follow Steve on Twitter. Um, what's your 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 screen name on Twitter? Is Steve at Steve Alquist at Steve Alquist? It's just no his stasis. name, first and last name. Yep. And you'll be able to find him on there. But anyway, he he does these really really long threads on all the bills that are being introduced, yeah. and a lot of these bills uh, have you know archaic language, and they're hard to understand what they do. And Steve just puts out there, here's what this bill does. And then you can look at and click the link to look at the bill text. So, Steve, let's let's talk about that for sure. Yeah. The um, well, one of the things I've been trying to do with those tweets threads too is to link the name of the uh, person who's putting it in, right? The senator or rep who's entering that. Yes. Bill. So now you've got a sense of what kind of bills does my rep often put in? Is my rep only doing things about insurance companies, or is my rep doing stuff that's really important to average everyday Rhode Islanders? Right, and it's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned that. Just to interject really quickly, yeah. uh, will the reason we're doing that is because uh, Rye Rank is going to catalog these bills uh, this year. Yeah. We wanted to do it last year; it was just an arduous task, and we kind of started late. Uh, but this year, we're right on top of it, so we're going to have a nice report. I don't know when we're going to release it, but it'll be a nice report that shows each legislator and then the types of bills they introduce. Yeah. Um, you know, we wanted to cover sponsors. But the thing with sponsors, Steve, and I'm sure you'll agree, is that you know anyone can just throw their name on a bill. Right. You know, it doesn't even mean they support the bill. They just you know want to look like they support the bill. Right. So they'll sponsor it, knowing that, especially under Mattiello, this bill is never going to come up for a vote, and I'm going to be protected here. So I can look like I support it to my constituents, to to progressive groups, whoever. But then actually, I I do not support this bill, and I'm glad it's not going to come up for a vote. Yeah. And that's not cool. So, so this is a nice. Uh, this change, is also, hopefully. by the way, the very first year when every single committee at the Statehouse is being made available on video yes. for anybody to watch. You made a point of that on, up, on Twitter, and that's, that's really important, too. Everyone yeah. gets to see conveniently without having to go there right. or rely on Steve to record every single committee meeting, which is really impossible to do. Yes, it's impossible. They happen at the same time in different rooms. I've got one camera. Even if I had help, I, sometimes there's three or four. And the rooms at the Statehouse, not all of them have cameras. Not all of them even have audio recording. So there's times when, you know, you'll be in a room like Commerce, Senate Commerce, there's never been a camera. Now they're all going to be up online. So this is exciting because we can watch them. We can see how people not only enter their bills, but how they defend them, how strong they back them. Watch some of these things. If there's a bill you're interested in, your rep or senator might not even be in the room to introduce it to the discussion. And so it has like, they introduce the bill. They say, any comments? No. Okay. Hold that bill for further study. That bill never moves. Now, they put that bill in. They did do this huge favor of like putting a bill that's really important to you. That bill had no real push, no real backing, no real chance of passing. And they just did it to put their name on it, what might be a good bill. So it's an interesting thing. So there's a lot of bills coming up for discussion this week. Um, 
there's going to be committee meetings every single day. Now, when I was preparing this list, I didn't have access to the Senate committee meetings yet because they will go up later as we record this. But I have access to all the um, House meetings. And I think one of the more interesting bills that we don't get to talk about too much is the shoreline access bill. And I wanted to talk about this because it's a little bit weird, but in Rhode Island, we have all these private beaches, right? We have these people who own big properties and they own uh, the beach to a certain point. Right. Rhode Island is the only state in all of America with a constitutional guarantee to shoreline access. And what that means is you can walk on the beach, even a private beach per se, as long as you're within close to the, shore, close to the uh, shoreline, right? So right now it's commonly accepted that you have about what they, this old, old law on this. You have an ox cart's width, okay? This is really crazy. But you have an ox, you can put an ox cart along the shore and collect seaweed into your ox cart. And as long as you're not going too close to the houses and the dry land, as long as you're along that high tide line, you can collect all the seaweed you want. It's a funny old thing. But what we're looking at now is people buy a property and there's these access points, these little paths that go through the property to the shoreline. They put up signs that say no trespassing. They put up signs that say no beach access. They put up signs that will tell you that the police will be called if you attempt to get to the beach through this little path. That's all total bullshit. It's not even true. It's not true. They are eliminated. They are putting up these signs illegally. They are, well, maybe it's not illegal to put up a sign, but it's certainly not right. They're steal, they trying to steal the shoreline access. That's what it sounds like. Right now, there is a bill, and it's got really interesting bipartisan support to codify into the law what shoreline access would look like. And this is like being supported by Filippi on one hand, on the, on the Republican side, and then Cortland on the Democratic side. And it's got a lot of other supporters. I mean, there's a list of them here. I'm not going to read all their names, but a lot of people are onto this bill. This is in the House. Senate should have its own legislation very similar very soon. It's a constitutional issue, so therefore it's got bipartisan support. This act would prevent a person from being prosecuted for fishing, gathering seaweed, swimming, or passage, that is walking along the sandy or rocky shoreline within 10 feet of the most recent high tide line. Complicated and everything, and it's weird because think about this. If there was a hurricane offshore and the tide came really, really up, you could probably be in somebody's backyard, right? If a house got flooded, well, you could be in their front yard. But I don't think that's what it is about. I think it's about the high tide line. We'll just accept it there. I like this legislation. It's important this legislation passes, but it really doesn't do enough because it doesn't criminalize the attempt to steal shoreline access, like these paths. Like if you put up a sign that says no access and there really is access, that's like theft of a public good. And I think that should be criminalized on some level. I agree with that, you know, because there has to be consequences, right? Right. You know, you can't just allow these people to do whatever they want and mislead people. Right. Suppose I just start putting up my own speed limit signs everywhere. I decide that ah, people drive too fast on Hope Street. I'm going to put up a 15 mile an hour sign there instead of a 25. And people say, wait a minute, what, who are you to put up signs? Suppose I put up no access at the end of my road, illegal trespass signs. So I never had to, like, to worry about delivery trucks coming down my path. You know, these are, these are, there's a problematic beginnings, but you can do this on the beach. You can steal it if you're rich, own some property, want to keep riffraff off your beach. Like, you know, comment every day, Rhode Island scum. <laughs> I think this bill could also go a lot further. This bill protects, theoretically, the historic way that we see, think about beaches and beach access. It says 10 feet, which is maybe 
a little bit wider than an ox cart. I don't really know how wide an ox cart was, right? <laughs> Who knows? It's probably three stones wide or some old English <laughs> way of measuring it. Who knows? I think we could do better. I think we could say, high tide line, how about just a beach? How about you just have access to beaches, right? I think that's what the intent of this was anyway. It was never about collecting sea- I mean, yes, we, it's about collecting seaweed, but it's never really about that. It's really about everybody on Rhode Island has access to the shore, to the beach. You know, I hear from uh, Bella Noka, who's a Narragansett tribe elder, about how important the ocean is to her tribe. They used to do ceremonies there years ago. But all the shorelines in Rhode Island have basically been stolen from the Narragansett. Narragansett. I mean, just like all of the land in the like whole country. Land, right? I know, <laughs> the shoreline in particular, she says, this was a spiritual thing for them, right? To go to the shoreline, to enjoy the shore. We all have this right as Rhode Islanders. And I think we should all be able to go there and use the shoreline the way we want. And so this idea of private beaches in Rhode Island, at very least, maybe it's not a great idea to think about private beaches. So, no, I, I agree. And it's funny you mentioned that because on my honeymoon, I went to Turks and Caicos mm-hmm. and they have a similar rule. Everyone has beach access. You cannot, and they're very strict about it too, like much more stricter, obviously, than Rhode Island is. Right. And they're, you know, put up signs to that effect. Like everyone has beach access. You cannot block. There's no private beaches. And you can just go wherever you want on the beach, right. and that's it. Right. And it was nice. And we went. It was actually like right after a hurricane. So we literally had the entire beach, maybe even the island, <laughs> to right. ourselves. Right. And, and that was pretty sweet. The people who are for these private beaches and for blocking access, these are people who profit from the idea that by making these sections of land exclusive to their buyers, they can raise the price on it, right? So you're Taylor Swift, and you buy a big, huge mansion on the beach, and that beach is your beach. Anybody who walks along that beach was getting arrested. Anybody who walked along the beach was getting stopped. That's not really what our law is. I mean, Taylor Swift might love her house there, or maybe she sold it. I don't know what the situation is now, but whoever owns the house there, they might love the idea of having a private beach, but really in Rhode Island, that's not a possibility, and why should it be, really? You know, we can do, we can do better than that. Sorry. No, I, I agree that, um, I just agree that, you know, and I try to look at it from both points of view, you know, because it's hard when, when you don't have money and you never had money in your life and you don't know what it's like to have that money and power, you don't know what it's like to be, you know, a, a quote unquote rich person and have that, you know, um, have a, a house on the ocean front and have that property like that. And it's a nice thing if you've, you've accomplished something in your life or been successful and you have enough money to buy a beachfront property. Now, granted, I would never in a million years with any amount of money buy a beachfront property because with climate change yeah. ferociously approaching, you'd have to be crazy to do that. But, hey, we've talked about this many times. But if you had lots more money, if you had a billion dollars, you could buy a house on a beach, right? When you have a million dollars, like, I'm not going to waste hundreds of thousands of dollars on a beach house because it's going to get flooded. But if you have a billion dollars, like, I don't care if it gets flooded. I have a billion dollars. That's quite quite a good way to look at it. Yeah. Billionaires can be cheap skates too, right. as we've seen. Most of them are. Jeff Bezos being the cheapest skate, I think, that <laughs> ever existed. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to switch up too. All right. So another really important set of bills coming out. Um, as we know, or you might know, uh, last week or maybe two weeks ago now, the Senate finally got around. The Senate floor passed a path to $15 minimum wage. Very exciting. It wasn't a perfect bill, right? For a lot of progressives, we'd want that path to be faster. We'd want that path to include tipped minimum wage workers. We'd want that path to um, tie future efforts, maybe make it higher. Why stop at 15 is a big argument, right? 
why not go for 20 at this point or go a little higher? Really, really raise it up. I mean, if we're going to do it by a year increments, why don't we shoot for the stars and really go for something big? But be that as it may, it's an important bill. It will put more money. It'll lift people out of poverty. There's a lot of good things about it. All right, so there are three bills being discussed on Wednesday in House Labor, which would basically be the House equivalent to the Senate side. I would expect, as I wrote about earlier, the anti-minimum wage crowd to be out in force, to be basically telling lies about how minimum wage works and hurts the economy, how raising the minimum wage makes people poorer, actually hurts people who don't have money, right? They'll talk about, oh, a certain number of people will be unemployed, even if that were true. Let's say that 1% of low-wage workers lost their jobs when we raise these wages. The wages going up are going to lift so many more people out of poverty, right? 20, 30, 40% of them will be out of poverty if we do this. These are important bills. We need to do them. The bill to keep an eye on is the H5130, which is similar enough to the Senate version, where if it were to pass, it would be easily to reconcile and it could go right to the desk of whoever happens to be governor when this finally passes, <laughs> right? McKee or Raimondo. Or nobody, it seems like. Or nobody. That's a whole other subject, whether or not we even have a governor yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot going on last week about that. So, yeah, so that's a big bill. Another bill that's related to minimum wage is one that would allow individuals employed in domestic service or in a private home to be included as an employee. Why this is important is because we know that some people brought in from other countries are become almost indentured servants in America, underpaid, not protected by anything. This would allow them to be considered employee and then basically be paid properly for their work, right? Uh, au pairs is a good example. Um, I don't know what kind of level of au pair abuse exists in Rhode Island, but I would expect it's probably on par with what exists elsewhere in the country. And we know across the country, this has been an issue. So this would be a really good part of the bill. And I think this one should pass as well. And the last one is it exempts the central Coventry Fire District from the app, from uh, the uh, overtime law <laughs> for five years. I don't know why would we want to do this. I mean, I don't understand where this is coming from. It's some kind of them waste. from the overtime law. They want to ex- they want to basically pass a law to the state house to make one small fire district exempt from overtime law for five years. I mean, talk about like weird pork project type of bills. Yeah, that is like such a specific bill. Who introduced that bill? It comes from the, it comes from Republicans, I believe. It was uh, I'd have to I'd have to look that up. I'm sorry, I don't have of people. Of course, names it comes from Republicans. The, yeah, the, but it comes from the right. The political party that would be completely happy paying people a wage of zero dollars an hour if they could. It's a little it's a little weird, and I have a feeling that this is a bargaining tactic. This is something that Coventry wants to go through, so they'll have some strength in bargaining with their firefighters over something going on. If you're exempt from overtime. You know, suddenly all these guys can't make overtime. Imagine if we did that to uh, the uh, Department of Corrections with the overtime that the people are making there. You know, if or, we the, or overtime, police departments. Right, or police departments. We would never even think of doing that. But if we're, we're dealing with a pesky union on something that we don't think is that important, like fire truck fighters, we'll do that, right? We'll do it to any public employee except our police and uh, our uh, Department of Corrections. Department of Corrections, overtime is out of control. And they advocate for policies that keep overtime out of control. That oh, was yeah. our union, right? And, and Democratic politicians are petrified of the law enforcement community, corrections and, and police, petrified. I can't, I can't say that enough. You know, when, when Republicans are in power and you see you know, police brutality, you see you know, massive wastes of police resources 
by the departments themselves, and you think, oh, we need to get Democrats in here to fix this and to rein this in, you're, 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 it's doc- that's not how it works. Democratic politicians love the police, love the police. <laughs> and, and don't take my word for it. Just look at all the cities that have unrest because of police brutality, and then who runs those cities? Right. The Democrats do. So the point is, is that you know, nobody that's currently in political power wants to rein these departments in, and overtime is a big, big problem. It's a big deal, especially look with DOC, at, state police, some other places. We pay a lot of money, state money, you all see, the time. You see officers making $200,000 a year, $200,000 a year to be a police officer, yeah. all right? And about 80,000 of that, on average, from what I've seen, 80,000 of a $200,000 salary is overtime. Yeah. $80,000. And you pay for that. I pay for that. Steve pays for that. We all pay for that. So the, and if we wanted to get rid of that, we'd either hire more police so there wouldn't be less overtime, or we make sure there's less police to do. And we take away... Well, some, there is. Right? I, think we, I think it's funny because nobody's actually audited... A police department, right? I don't, know like, I don't know. I don't know. It would be interesting to see. I don't know. I'm that pretty true? sure, and just based also? on just based on the politics of doing that, okay, and how resistive the police are to accountability, I can assure you that's probably never been done. <laughs> and if it was done, like the Pentagon, you would find a massive, massive amount of waste. Because yeah. when you think about it, Steve, all right, we we did this stat uh, a few episodes back where something like. Ninety-five percent of police calls are not related to you know needing yes, needing right. to stop violence or anything that you count on a police officer to do. They're usually you know dumb things, you know. And then you take away if we legalize marijuana, okay, you get rid of the drug war. Now you've got really like what what is the purpose of police? I you've was got you've that. got a force. Now let's say you have a force of a hundred hundred officers, yeah. right? And you see, your ninety-five percent of the calls could be handled by. Uh, perhaps a social worker, perhaps a non-armed person. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you've got a hundred people here, and and I don't. Every department's different, of course. Whether you have you know eight patrolmen on at any time, twenty patrolmen, whatever. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that um, if there's no crime, okay, right. that they are supposed to enforce, what what is the purpose of that? And you see over time, Steve, I think you'll agree that we've we've eliminated crimes that police typically come after people right. for. For example, even though marijuana is still insanely not legal in Rhode Island yet, you're not seeing a whole lot of arrests. Police are not prioritizing marijuana arrests. Well, not for casual users, for sure. Right, yeah. they're just not. And, and so you've eliminated that, and that was a big part of policing, you know, especially in the 80s and 90s. And so you've eliminated that. You know, crime as a whole, violent crime as a whole, is down. Yeah. It's down huge from, from the 80s and 90s. Yet police forces are not down, right, Steve? No, that is they're not. True. They're, they're growing every year, right? They go up, and every year. there's no, absolutely no reason why, no reason why we're pouring all this money, wasting all this money on policing. Would we ever wonder, like, what we would do with what would police would do with their time if there were self-driving cars? Because I, I thought about cars. that, Steve, the other day when I was I was uh, chatting with Eliza Birkin, our guest from last week. On Twitter about some some uh, speeding tickets and traffic and stuff like that, I actually thought to myself, "Wow, when there's like a fully automated automated fleet of cars that right. just drive themselves, there's not going to be any speeding tickets, no stop signs, none of that, no accidents, and, no and, drunk and by then you're guessing that marijuana will probably, if not other drugs, you know, um, uh, shrooms and, and whatnot, might be legal as well. 
what role do police have? Right. I mean, certainly there's going to be a role for when there's, you know, a violent, you know, uh, altercation or something. You need someone, uh, you need Braun to come in there. And, like a robbery and, happens. You want somebody to investigate, right? Murders happen. Of you know, course, things, of assaults, course. All those types of things. But when it comes to like the casual, everyday, keeping order on the roads, that goes away. What do police do? Right? What do they do all day? There's just so, there's so little need for police right. that even now... That, but it's not reflected in police budgets, and it's a big, big problem. And I hope that, you know, uh, it seems like, you know, the reason that this happens, of course, and, and our listeners are not going to like to hear this, but the reason it happens is because you allow it to happen. That's, that's what it boils down to, is that you allow it to happen. When you see this happen, do you, do you contact your representative or senator and say, why, why, or you're in your town, you know, what, what do we, what, I saw my police budget's $80 million this year. What is that spent on? How, how is that helping prevent crime? You yeah. know, when, you know, find a similar town and their police budget's $40 million. Right. And it's like, okay, we have the same crime level, we have the same this, the same that, and yet our police budget's twice as much. Why is that? Right. And then ask them to explain it and just, and just give them pushback, you know? And, and if they have a good response, that's great. That's great. If they can justify it, then, then all the power to them. But it's important to ask questions and, and ask and say, why... Are we spending all this money here? Right. And and not to specifically single out police, whether it's fire, whether it's you know the the Department of Public Works. And I'm not saying that these are are areas where there's too much employment, but it's important to ask if you see something, say something. You know, we always talk about that as far as you know terrorism goes. But it, <laughs> but it goes to anything. If you're you're a taxpayer, okay, you're a taxpayer in Providence or Cumberland or Smithfield or wherever, okay, you have a right to question your town's officials and say like, listen. Why is our budget this high? Where's the crime? You know, I saw, you know, in Smithfield, our crime rate is, you know, 99% of reported crimes are not violent. Why do we pay these policemen to, to, do, to patrol and do all this stuff when they're not needed? And that's wasted money that could be used for education, could be used to beautify the city or town, be used for a lot of different things. Yeah. Because people have to understand that there's, there's virtually no return on investment for wasting money on police or, or you know, our Pentagon budget. Almost a trillion dollars in a year. City, that money that you pay your police does not go get reinvested back in Rhode Island. I mean, uh, Providence, because very few of the officers live in Providence. That's true too. When you're paying, Providence is paying these officers, and that money is exiting Providence immediately. It goes right out the door because you don't have to live in Providence to. And I get that for some cities, like you know, for example, New York City has like what a hundred thousand cops, some yeah. ridiculous number of police officers, and uh, I don't expect them all to live in the city. It's expensive to right. live in New York City. I mean, it's very nice very pricey to live. Not living in Providence, but at the same time, you know, when you're making, uh, when you're taking that money, investing it in property outside of Providence, you're also you're taking your kid to Little League, not in Providence. You're not seeing these people as people. You're only seeing them as people who need to be policed. Right. Right. right? If you live in a town. You're going to see them outside the town. You're going to see these kids in school. You're going to see these kids other places. You're going to be able to say, hey, you know, you're, you're acting up. Go home or I'll tell your mom. You don't have to be a cop and arrest them, right? You can be, a, you can be a, just a, a casual citizen. Like, I could do that. When I walk down the street, I see kids acting up, which never happens. But if I did, I could say, hey, kids, cut it out because I know who you are. If you're part of the community, you know who they are. If you're not part of the community, to you, they're just monsters that need to be policed. This is my job. Go and beat some heads or whatever. So let's switch it up, though. I want to go on to another bill, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's say this is something I know you'll know a lot about because you do a lot of web work, uh, net neutrality. Net right? neutrality. That's coming up Tuesday. That's tomorrow, if you're listening to this when it comes out on Monday. Um, net neutrality. 
requires the internet service providers to follow internet service neutrality requirements. Really simple bill, right? It doesn't have to say a lot. It basically is a state level net neutrality bill to stop people from being able to, well, from the point of view of Uprise, not having net neutrality would really, really suck because we can't afford to pay service providers extra money to keep us at the same level, let's say, as the New York Times or CNN or WLVI 12 or any of the, or Projo or anybody else. Net neutrality means that they're not going to throttle us back, keep us trickling in really slow so that a preferred customer can get the full 100 megabytes per hour, the full 5G experience, right? This means that wherever you go on the internet, it'll be equally fast, equally good. And everybody will have the same chance to get their message out there. If we allow for net neutrality to go away completely, suddenly the only people you're going to be able to get are the really big players, you know, the Facebooks, the Twitters, those types of things. You're not going to be able to get the stuff. You know, you go to Facebook, you see an interesting article from Uprise, you say, let me click on that. And then you wait, what, 30 seconds, a minute, while it slowly comes up. If we're, if we're, if that happens to us, we disappear. Our voices can be stopped. Small voices can be stopped, leaving only the big, powerful media companies. You know, you'll still be able to download your Disney films, right, and watch those properly. Because Disney can afford to pay whatever it takes to make sure you get good service. Small voices can be destroyed this way because we can't keep up financially with those big monsters. So net neutrality is super, super important to anybody who is trying to fight the David and Goliath story. The Davids need net neutrality or else we don't have a chance. Yeah, so there's there's a, a lot of components to net neutrality, and I'll, and I'll try to cover a, a couple of them. First yes, of all, I want to say that uh, Uprise RI's website, I'm the operations manager for uh, the website uh, of Uprise RI. And when I came aboard a couple of years ago with Steve, uh, my priority was making sure that the website was hosted on a platform that was um, DDoS proof. In other words, um, you hear about attacks on the internet, denial of service attacks, where someone doesn't like you, sends massive amounts of, of empty information at your website, and it knocks it offline. And this happens uh, once in a while. You hear about big stories of this happening. It happened a couple of years ago to uh, a large number of companies on Amazon's AWS network, uh, Netflix, and amongst others. They got knocked offline. When I came aboard, I said, listen, this is not going to happen to us and set us up with um, a CDN and multiple um, edge peering points so that Uprise is not only resilient in terms of staying online all the time and never going down. Um, we've had five minutes of downtime in the last year, uh, which I'm really proud of. Me too. Um, but we also are, are DDoS proof, so we can handle approximately ten to 20,000 simultaneous users at a time. Now, we don't ever get that. That would be, you know, we're Rhode Island. It's not, there's not that many people here. <laughs> but, you know, if we do have stories that go viral, uh, have had stories that go viral nationally and whatnot, and have had, you know, 100,000 visitors in a day, and our, our hosting operations can handle that no problem, and I'm really happy about that. So we've, we've taken steps to mitigate some of the issues you get when net neutrality is not enforced. So that's on the website side. Now, there's a net neutrality is we're lucky in Rhode Island, believe it or not. We have Cox Communications and Verizon as our main two internet service providers. And say what you want about them. I'm sure our listeners have had issues with one or the other or maybe. But uh, you've got the best of the bunch. And I know that's not maybe saying much. But just be thankful you're not over the border and have Comcast as your cable and internet provider because they are the bottom of the barrel. They are horrible in every aspect you could possibly imagine an internet provider to be. 
from slow speeds that are below what you pro- get promised to data caps. They actually like you don't have unlimited internet. You have so many hundreds of gigabytes uh, a month. And if you're a streaming customer, you may hit that. So net neutrality is something that the Comcast of the world like to do because like to, uh, to, like to thwart, I should say. And the reason is because Comcast is now a multinational conglomerate. It's uh, NBC, it's Univers- that whole big giant umbrella. So what does that mean? That means that they have content, right? NBC has its own content. Um, you know, they've got a stake in Hulu. There's a lot of, of, of hands in the pot there and a lot of, of pots in this conglomerate. So you figure Comcast says, okay, well, hey, you know what we're going to do? It's our internet network, right? Uh, any of our customers that want to go to uh, CBS websites, okay, we're going to load them a little slower, you know? And then NBC sites, you know, because we own them, we're going to give them high-speed priority. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Here's what also we're going to do. You know that 200-gigabyte data cap that you have every month? Well, if you're using our websites and you're going to our properties – we will have, we'll give you unlimited. You don't have to worry about the caps. They don't apply to that, okay? This is something T-Mobile tried to do as well a couple of years ago with some of the services they had partnered with. They said, you know, hey, we have data limits, which they've now kind of gotten rid of. But back then they had some data limits, and they said, hey, when you use our services, our partners here, it won't account against your data. That's a violation of net neutrality. Right. Net neutrality says you cannot prioritize certain traffic. You cannot say that your plan is, you know, 10 gigabytes a month, but then your stuff is, is free. And unfortunately for America, um, Donald Trump was elected president, and he put in place, uh, I forget how to pronounce his first name exactly. I hope it's Ajit, Ajit Pai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was made chairman uh, of the FCC and immediately eliminated uh, net neutrality policies. And that caused, of course, some ISPs. Luckily in Rhode Island, really not us. We were not affected because, hey, we have competition. You know, say what you want about, about competition. Or say what you want about Verizon and Cox, but that's competition. And it's pretty ruthless competition, too. They're pretty cutthroat in terms of trying to steal each other's customers, you know. But that's good because in a lot of areas, uh, you know, Massachusetts especially, where they just have Comcast. That's it. Connecticut. A lot of areas of Connecticut just have Comcast. Uh, or AT&T, which is just as bad. You know, people in, in, in my father lives up in New Haven, down in New Haven, I should say, and they have a choice between AT&T and Comcast, and they're both terrible companies. It's like the worst of both worlds. You know, Cox and Verizon are eons better than both of them. Hmm. You know, again, I'm sure people out there have had problems with Cox, had problems with Verizon. I've had issues with, with either one of them in the past, but they're so much better than what other states are dealing with. So it's nice that we have that here. Now, as far as the net neutrality thing goes, there's a, another uh, part of this. And you might have experienced this, you know, five, ten years ago when Netflix was really first getting into streaming, uh, you'd see buffering, okay? You'd be playing, you know, a, a video, movie, whatever, and you'd, say, you'd see buffering come up. And it would come up really a lot. And it didn't matter if you were on Cox or Verizon, it would come up. And you'd say to yourself, like, what, what is this? Why is this happening? And here's the reason it happened. Because Netflix was getting extremely popular very quickly. And they were using up a lot of internet bandwidth. All their customers are downloading video, okay? So it's not like they're just looking at pictures or going through text websites. They're downloading video. It's very bandwidth hungry. And when you're growing like that, adding millions of subscribers every month, like Netflix was, you strain the backbone networks of the internet. And 
the Verizons of the world are – they operate the backbones of the internet. Verizon has – went on an acquisition spree back in the day right. and owns a very large portion of the uh, the backbones that run our, our nationwide internet. Uh, so that's, that's something to know. And Verizon said, listen, all right, we, we have to keep upgrading our lines to handle your bandwidth. And we have to invest money, and it's not cool. So uh, what we're going to do instead is we're going to throttle your traffic. Okay, we're going to deprioritize your traffic because we just we need to service everyone. So in Verizon's case, okay, to, to not to stick up for Verizon, but to take their side here, I, I get that argument. You know, if you've got a customer who who doesn't pay you anything, okay, this is a customer. If you want to call it mooching, it's what it is. Netflix was mooching off of the internet backbone. And using up an enormous amount of bandwidth, I think at, at its peak, it was like 45% of all internet wow. bandwidth was Netflix, all right? So when you see that, you kind of can sympathize with Verizon and say, all right, listen, I, I get it. You have to spend all this money to upgrade your lines for one specific client who's not even a customer of yours. They should have to pay something, right? Well, net neutrality says that, okay, you can make agreements where these people have to pay something or whatever, but you cannot, you cannot deprioritize them and you cannot interfere with people's ability to access these services. Uh, but, you know, the, the FCC understood that, okay, well, if you've got a customer here that's sapping up all the juice, then, then you should be able to make an agreement. So they came up with these peering agreements where Netflix basically pays a fee to service providers like Verizon and others uh, to, to kind of uh, uh, keep the traffic flowing and to compensate them for the, for the investments they have to make in the lines. So, you know, not to stick up for Verizon, but I get that. You know, like, like I try to tell people, you know, I'm a lefty, but I also am a realist. And so I try to look at, you know, both sides of things and why the argument might be made on each, on each side. So I get Verizon's argument there. And, and Netflix, was, again, wasn't even paying them anything at all, right, using right. up all of their, their but, don't we, but don't we all use that? I mean, we, we don't pay for any of our access. And we're, using, we're kind of mooching off that backbone of the internet as well. Right? You're exactly right. And that's why, you know, net neutrality should go forward because you're exactly right. So we're paying Netflix, you know, $15 a month or whatever yeah. for, for their network, okay? And then we're paying Verizon, you know, right. 70 bucks for internet or whatever a month there. So we figure that $70 we're investing should go to Verizon upgrading their networks and doing whatever it takes to give us Netflix and right. whatever give us whatever we want. Now, excuse me, again, to... To not to stick up for Verizon, but to take their side here, there's two ways that you can go about that. Number one, Verizon could raise prices on everyone, like you yeah. and I, okay, and then pay for the upgrades that way. So instead of paying 70 bucks a month, you pay 75 bucks a month, yeah. and then hey, all your access is fine, everything's lovely. Or they can make Netflix pay for it. Now, you and I would much prefer Netflix to pay for that, right? Someone, I guess. And yeah. Netflix has in fact paid for it, but as you can see. They can't pay for it all. And right. so Netflix has raised prices over the last five years or so by 2 or $3 on most plans. And that's, you know, of course, it's, it's profit-hungriness, of course, but it's also the fact that they have to pay these peering agreements for yeah. this bandwidth. Well, see, I'm just such a lefty. I would th say I think the government should step in and, and make up for that because I think everybody should have internet, right? I We're think seeing the, that right now with the pandemic. I agree. That I people think that, who don't have internet are really hurting. They can't even make uh, schedule appointments to get... COVID vaccines because they don't have internet. The internet should be a utility, and I think everyone should everyone should have at least 50 megabits Ab per second yeah. access. Absolutely right. I yeah. mean, I got 100 at my house, which is kind of low compared to what they're giving away now. I got a sweetheart deal with Verizon, and if I try to upgrade it, they'll kill it. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'd love to get gigabit, but unfortunately, uh, you know, I don't want to pay through the teeth for it. 
Um, but on the other hand, you know, 25 megabits per second, uh, 50 megabits per second is, is well fast enough for anyone to do video and things like that. So I think a minimum standard of 50 megabits per second. And again, it's, it's so embarrassing that we're the richest country in the world and we don't provide our citizens with basic needs, whether it's healthcare, whether it's internet access. I yeah. mean, this is not, we're not asking for much here. This nope. is bare minimum stuff. Internet is so And important. nobody's going to argue, Steve, that the internet is a privilege. I mean, the, the internet these days, it's not 1995. Right. Internet today is a must-have. Right. So it's a human right more than anything else. You're I mean, expected to have it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And education. Imagine how, think of how hard it was to roll out these at-home education programs when half the kids in Providence and Central Falls and all through the urban core in Rhode Island didn't have access to the internet, didn't have a computer, didn't have a tablet, didn't have any way, you know, didn't even have a phone to like look at their teacher and hear the teacher or anything else. This was because they didn't have internet. So we had to like go out and we had to do all these special things for people. And a lot of kids still got lost in what fell between, beneath the cracks, right? Between the cracks. So the internet is hugely important. And if we want people to be an informed electorate, that's also where we get a lot of our information, right? And not just, I mean, I'm not saying it's just for Uprise Rhode Island because, you know, we're small. But I depend on the internet to find out what's going on in the world. I need to know what's going on through all the big channels too. I can't cover Biden. So I need CNN. I need some, you know, some of the other, or the Hill or whatever groups are out there covering this stuff. I need to be able to hear them, access them, or else I can't know what's going on either. How can I vote if I don't know? And I'm reasonably well informed. So to conclude that bill, uh, the good news is that this bill is not, you know, a, a, a major game changer in Rhode Island because we have good competition, but that could change at any time. At any time, Cox get, could get acquired by Comcast, and guess what? Now you have Comcast and Verizon, which is much worse. Verizon could pull out of Rhode Island. They could change the product entirely. There's a lot of things they could do. So it's nice to not be reactionary for once and be proactive mm. and say, listen, even though this is not a big deal right now in Rhode Island, we're going to enact it. So that when when push comes to shove, we're protected. And the uh, Re Reproductive Act did the same thing. Right. You know, Roe Ro versus Wade had not been uh, uh, canceled by the Supreme Court, no. but we said, you know what? We don't care. We're not waiting. We're going to be proactive here and make sure yeah. we get that done. So it's nice to see a government being proactive. And I hope that our listeners, you know, contact your representatives and senators and say, listen, we want net neutrality. It's yeah. one of those those bills where. I don't see a lot of opposition. You're the only opposition you're going to get. It'll be interesting to see who does oppose it, though, because you know some companies are going to get up there and say, oh, we don't want this. We it's going to be it. Verizon and Cox, of course. They're going to they're going to absolutely oppose right. it. You might get a lobbyist from AWS that oppose it. Right. You might get, you know, it's going to be all big industry people. You're not going to see any ordinary people out there protesting this bill. It's just not going to happen. This yeah, is a bill it. that protects people at the expense of, of corporations. Right. So, and, uh, so, we're, so I'm hope, it'll be interesting to see who does. It's like the minimum wage bill. The people who come out against it all have a vested interest in making sure their power is protected, their money is protected. They don't care about what happens to you. They care about what happens to their pocketbooks. Yep. And yep. this is going to be the same on the, this. So I'm looking forward to that. And net, net neutrality really quick might actually be enacted at the federal level again. Remember, Trump's uh, chairman of the FCC got rid of it. But uh, Biden, you know, you'd like to think that, oh, of course, Biden's going to reenact it. But you don't know with Biden. Biden's right. kind of, you know, Republican. It didn't light, happen under so, Obama. So, yeah. Uh, so, you, so you don't know uh, what, what the deal is. Um, right. And we'll, we'll see what's going on with that. But uh, what else do we have on the docket? Oh, so, all right, let's switch it up again. I'm going to try to keep the subjects as far apart from each other as possible. So I want to go right to the environment now, right? Uh, the House Environment Committee on Friday will be discussing four bills, all of which are pretty good, right? So a plastic straw ban. You know, you don't get a plastic straw at a restaurant unless you ask for one, right? Easy enough. Um, 
probably not enough penalties in there. I think there's a $300 penalty, which people might just look at, a restaurant could look at as a straw tax. Fine, I'm going to give a straw to everybody and I'm gonna get, I'll pay my $300 a year in fines, right? So we might want to think about how to do that. But at the very least, you know, if we can keep a couple extra straws out of the ocean, that might be a really good thing because they never go away. Um, the same for uh, disposable containers. They want to get rid of uh, food containers that are made of polystyrene foam. Just get rid of those, right? Um, you know, you have those little foil ones now. There's all sorts of ways around this. I don't know that we need polystyrene, but it would be nice to get rid of it. Again, good for the environment. It gets rid of things like PFAS, right? The, uh, the long name I'm not going to try to say, but it's a class of fluorinated organic chemicals that pretty much never go away. The DuPont stuff? Yeah, and it's like, the, the micro, you know, there's like microplastics everywhere. There's PFAS. These chemicals hurt us over time. They're cancer-causing. There are hundreds of different kinds. There is a law here to uh, stop PFAS in food packaging, right? I mean, that way we're not directly ingesting these chemicals anymore. I mean, they're still everywhere. But, you know, there's some, they're in our water. We can't get the DEM to test our water properly for PFAS. You know, of the hundreds of kinds there are, they think they test for five. Not even good enough, right? We're, we're getting hit with a lot of these chemicals. Not sure what to do about PFAS to stop them, but we can stop adding more to them. I think that'd be a good step. The last one, though, the, I think the biggest one here is the... Uh, Statewide greenhouse gas emission reduction mandate really kind of gives teeth to the older law in Rhode Island, which would uh, what what would had all these goals to reduce our energy like consumption. This would actually put some teeth in that, and there are some protections in the bill that are interesting to keep it from ha- um, hitting low income residents harder. The money that's generated, much of it would be poured back into communities that need the help. Right to do things like get their housing in order to like you know upgrade their uh, weatherize their homes or to get you know put solar panels up and stuff like this. The idea would be to give to take a lot of this money and put it back into the communities that are getting hit, so that they're not being unfavorably taxed. Because you know if you put a gas tax on you, for instance, you've got a Tesla, right? So that Tesla that gas tax isn't going to hit you as hard as it might hurt an, a consumer who can only really afford you know an old. 1963 Buick LeSabre or something, you know, that they're barely keeping running. We got to keep those. Uh, so we have to keep that in mind. I don't know if the bill does that adequately or not. That's a good discussion to have. But I think there's like, that's a really important bill. Um, we have to give teeth to actually reducing the amount of fossil fuels we use. And something's going to have to happen. This is a start on that. It's maybe the only start that has both right and left wing support because there are a lot of right wings uh, economists who say, this kind of plan is the only way to really reduce energy. It's the only one they are acceptable. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but, it, but it's a good beginning, and I think it's got a lot of support. But they snuck it in at a 5 o'clock meeting on a Friday or a 3 o'clock meeting on a Friday. Not going to be a lot of people at this, you know, watching Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon even, an environmental bill. So something to keep an eye on, something I'll be covering, and I hope Eco Rhode Island will be covering it as well to give it some real attention, to bring some... So, and I know all the environmental groups will be there on all these bills, really pushing for them because where we schedule stuff in the state is also important. You put it on a Tuesday night at, you know, five, six o'clock, people can watch. You put it at a Friday afternoon at three or five, four o'clock. Sorry, but I'm getting ready for date night, right? <laughs> I'm not like thinking mm-hmm. about how I'm going to do this. I try to take my Friday nights off, spend time with my wife, my family. Um, we can do, so just something to keep in mind. I think that's a really important bill. Uh, I agree. And, you know, for people that are listening, thinking, oh, well, we're going to get some straws out of the ocean or we're going to get rid of a couple of styrofoam containers, everyone has to contribute. 
You know, I mean, I try to recycle as much as I can at my home. I'm one person. I'm just one person. But we're a whole state. And if we can do it as a state together and get rid of those styrofoam take-home containers from Twin Oaks and, and everywhere other restaurant, right. then let's do it. Let's replace them, whether it's a, a cardboard container, whether it's a metallic container, whatever it is, something that could be recycled that's not going to stay in our environment forever. Why not just do that? Yeah. You know, we're not talking about switching the cost of a container from, you know, 10 cents to $1.50. You know, I think the containers we can come up with are going to be reasonably priced compared to what they use now. It's just uh, better for the environment. So everyone wants to do their part, and I hope that Ryan will take a lead here you know, and, and do that. All right, so before I get to my last set of bills that I really want to talk about, I'm just going to get some quick shout-outs to some bills that I think are interesting, but we don't have to give a lot of conversation to, but things to watch. There are three bills that the House is taking up this week, three bills that the House is taking up this week to talk about insulin, lowering the course of insulin. Lowering, lowering the cost of insulin. And I think that's really important. Insulin is really expensive for no real reason, right? Um, they've just decided to jack up the prices on diabetics and make a lot of money because what are you going to do, diabetic die? Be our guest. You want to live, pay what you have to. We have to stop that kind of crap. And um, medicine needs to be, the pricing on medicines needs to be controlled. Another interesting bill, they want to raise the legal age at which you can get married to Rhode Island to 18. Right now you can get married under the age of 18 with parental uh, consent. Wow, who knew that? <laughs> it's kind of a crazy idea, but it's such a holdover from. Is that like something the, that's happening? Do you are you aware of any below eighteen year old marriages? I don't know that it still happens or a lot, but it can happen, and it will. Ha- if it happens, it happens because we have these ancient ideas as to, uh oh, my sixteen year old daughter just got pregnant. Um, I'm going to make her marry that seventeen year old boy she's with. That can't be a recipe for a good marriage or a decent idea. That's just not a good idea. And we need to get rid of that, right? We have, we have, we're smarter than this, and we can do better. The last bills I wanted to talk about, and this is like a thing for me, so maybe other people won't, aren't going to get super excited about it, but <laughs> bills to limit the Open Meetings Act, right? I'm sorry, the Access to Public Records Act, APRA. The Access to Public Records Act is really, really limited. This is our ability to tell the government, hey, give me that document. I want to see that contract. I want to see this. I want to know what's happening. I want, you know, when you, when you, if you're going to have a meeting, I want to know what that meeting is going to be about. And I'm going to be able to read. What is that meeting going to be about so that I know whether or not I want to tune in or not? You might be talking about something I'm not interested in. Like you have a school committee meeting and they're saying, hey, what, how much money are we going to give to the formal dance? 500 or $200, whatever. I'm like, whatever. You know, tail to the formal dance. I want to know about important things, right? So I want to know when you're having a meeting that's interesting, I'll read the agenda. I'll see it. I'll say, good. I also want to be able to know where's our money going, what are we spending it on? Who is our contractors? Are we doing these contracts fairly? These are the types of things we want to know, and that's what the Access to Public Records Act does. But two bills have been introduced to limit the Access to Public Records Act in interesting ways. And I'm not sure this first one. Listen to this. Let's make sure we name the people that introduced this. If you uh, have it. This is important. You know, I have names. to look that up. I did not put the names of the people when I did my notes. I'm sorry. I did it for one, and then I thought, oh, I'll do it for the rest, and I, and I didn't. But I can look this up probably pretty quick. Let me see. Um, one sec. Um, so the first one does this. I'm going to just throw this out here. Provides an exemption to the access for public records law for winners of lottery prizes. What? It, it's a weird idea, right? I guess what happens is if you win a lot of money at the lottery, people can access that online and say, oh, and then all of a sudden it starts hitting you with a bunch of mail. Yeah, right? I get and that. And so now, oh, you're rich now, so guess what? You're going like, uh, to love these ideas we have for you. And mostly people want to be left alone. Yeah. And I get that, but I also think, why are we making that exception, right? Why are we saying this is, why are we allowing this? 
This is coming from Representative Edwards, who's a Democrat, and Representative Filippi, who's a Republican. So it's bipartisan, but only two. I don't know why we should be put, poking holes in the Access to Public Records Act. It's already severely limited. When I put in a Public Records Act request, I'm constantly told, sorry, this is privileged information. Sorry, this is uh, information. You know, like I say, hey, I want to see who introduced this idea. Like, and they say, no, that's work product. This was like when we all got together and we were trying to figure out what we're going to do here. It just came out of the work product. So you can't see the notes. You can't see, did anybody object to this stupid idea before it happened? No, you don't know that. All you see is the end product. And you never get to see what, how the dysfunction that went into the creation of certain policies or ideas. I think that's really, really problematic. And so, but getting back to this thing, when somebody wins the lottery, we should know that the lottery was fair. We should know that this, you know, if we have a list of hidden people, how do I know? That's true. That's very true. And I can see that's a good argument to have that information public. Remember the uh, McDonald's thing a few years ago when McDonald's was like, the, all their prizes were basically given out by a mobster to his friends? Yep. Right? That was a huge deal. And why was that? It was because really, who was monitoring this? But this is more, this is even different. This is public money. This is a public program. And if we don't know what's going on here, I don't know. So I'm not sure. I don't have a strong opinion on this bill, but I do think when we poke holes in the, open, the Access to Public Records Act, we're doing ourselves a disservice. The other one, also from Representative Edwards with no, nobody else on it so far, allows school committees to add items to their agendas for the purpose of discussion only without having to publish notice of additional items. That gets, that's completely contrary to the purpose of the, open, of the Access to Public Records Act. Agendas need to be as specific as possible so I know what's going to happen at these meetings. Of course. If you can just add an item for discussion purposes, now all of a sudden people are discussing stuff that could be really important. The initial discussions are sometimes the most important because that could generate, you know, well, we have a discussion. Remember that thing we discussed last week? Let's vote on it now. What did you talk about last week? Right? I mean, it's just a weird idea. I mean, it says for discussion purposes only, but discussions are what leads to votes. Right, of course. And it's interesting to, to wonder what the motivation was behind this bill. Because there's always a motivation behind yeah. the bill. Something happened, and that's why the bill exists. And it, it, it's important to find. That's why you, you look at who introduced it, you know, and, right. and what's their motivator for it's, introducing a bill that's going to limit the, the public's right to know what their government is I know is that doing. it's frustrating to be on these boards and to be com- severely limited to by what you can talk about or what you think can be said. And I've often seen the, public, the Access to Public Records Act and used against the public. For instance, it only constrains the members of the board or committee or whoever's on, right? It doesn't work to constrain the public. So during, they'll have like a thing in um, some places, Woonsocket loves to do this. You show up to speak to the Woonsocket City Council and they say, oh, you can't talk about that because it's not on our agenda. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not on me. That agenda isn't about me. I can say whatever I want during the public speaking par- portion, it's on you. You can't talk, but you can certainly listen to me talk about it, right? And they, they want to like put limits on, so they're turning around, they're saying, well, this will limit you. From t- this happened in Barville way back in the early days of the uh, power plant. There was a woman who basically went to the Barville Town Council for months trying to speak about a thing, and every time they found some weaselly excuse to prevent her from speaking about it. Oh, it wasn't on our agenda, Oh, it's on our agenda, but not that part of the agenda. It's about this, but not that. I mean, they just like they just weasel you out of it. That is not the way the Access to Public Records Act was ever intended to work. It was a violation 
opening up more holes, I just think is a problem. So those are bills that I tend to be against, even though I think the intentions might be good. I'm just going to say that they might be good. I don't think they're um, really good ideas. So that's just a few of the bills coming up next week. There's a million bills that we're going to be considering over the course of this um, till June, right? We'll have bills coming and going. And there's going to be a lot of more bills. I'm going to be doing tracking as many bills as possible. I'll be talking about as many bills as possible. If you have any ideas or have any concerns, reach out to me. If you want to know how to do this, I'll talk to you. You know, email me or text me or whatever. I'll do what I can to make sure that we concentrate on the bills that are important and that we get the stuff. Yeah, if you that have we want. feedback about what we cover at Uprise, go to our website, upriseri.com, and click on contact. Yeah. And then you can reach Steve uh, via text message, via email, and a number Anyone of ways. So reach Tweet out me. to him, and he's pretty responsive. Yeah. And, uh, and let him know what, what bills you want to see covered and things that are important to you, and we'll see whether we can take care of that. Yeah. So that's what I have for bills. So our next segment here is going to be an interesting one. My daughter actually suggested this, and I thought it was a really good idea, actually, because I don't know if the other news stations have done this. Uh, I, don't, I try not to watch the local news too much, but uh, she thought it would be interesting to have uh, kids on the show to talk about what their life has been like under COVID since this started. So logistically, in order to make this work, uh, really the only kids that we could have on safely, because they have to really sit on my lap to do this properly <laughs> in this podcast, is my own kids. Yeah. So uh, we've got my, uh, my kindergartner and fourth grader uh, here to talk about what their life is with COVID. All right, so we have here Samantha and Sam. How old are you? I am 10 years old. And what grade are you in? I'm in fourth grade. Where do you go to school? I go to Garvin Elementary. Nice. So how long have you been distance learning now at Garvin? Since March of 2019. Since March of 2019? Mm-hmm. Are you sure about that? Yeah. You, you think maybe it was, it was probably March of 2020, since that's when COVID kind of started? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're thinking last year when you're still thinking it's 2020, right? right? You're, yeah. you're still th- yeah, you're thinking that the last year just didn't happen, so it's just <laughs> been like, yeah. And I, can bl- I don't blame you, Sam, because yeah, yeah. honestly, it feels like it's been three years or two years or whatever. So, so this first started happening last spring. I think we can agree on that. You were, you were going to school. Uh, COVID-19 started getting bad, and then they decided to cancel in-person school. What do you think? What did you think then when that happened? Um, I thought it was just kind of really weird and stuff because, like, we were just doing distance learning, and it was, like, new to a bunch of people. So it just kind of felt weird not to see everyone. Yeah, did you miss your friends that were in third grade with you? Yes. What was what was distance learning like in the third grade? Um, it was kind of bad because like there were no Google meetings and we couldn't really see everyone, and there was like barely any things to do for work, so we just had like no guidance on it, and we just had to do the work that they assigned us and stuff in the Google Classroom and the work that we had and stuff. So wasn't was it a, wasn't a lot of fun? No, not really. Did you learn anything? No. <laughs> you didn't learn anything? Not really. Wow. So all the stuff you know now, you just knew before this started? Basically. Okay. Cool to know. Uh, well, I mean, we didn't get into fourth grade yet. So this is third grade we're talking about right. now. So third grade, and I observed this, third grade, uh, the whole distance learning thing at the end of last school year was was a complete disaster. Uh, we didn't learn anything. And I don't know what other towns were like, but Cumberland's was a mess. Okay. Um, so, so, Sam, you finished up third grade, and summer vacation came. What did you do for fun during the summer? Um, 
we just went to the beach and went swimming in my grand pool because there was really nothing else. We couldn't go on vacation. We do just like went swimming and had fun outside. Did you see oh. any of your friends even online? Um, yes. I saw my friend Avery who lives right up the street and Genevieve. Okay. My two best friends. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, when, when COVID kind of died down a little bit during the summer, we did have uh, some some distanced uh, outside parties here, you know, have people over and stuff like cool. that. So uh, it wasn't, fortunately, there was at least some social interaction, you know, we had to do, yeah. we got to do last year. All right, so, so Sam, you got assigned your fourth grade teacher and you saw who your classmates were going to be. Were you happy about who was in your class? Yes, I was very happy because it's the first year I'm finally with my friend Genevieve and the second year in a row I'm with my friend Avery. So I have like all my friends in my class. So school started and what was it like? Um, it, was, it started out virtual and um, every day was virtual and like there were only meetings and there were breaks and lunch breaks and um... We didn't have to wear a mask, and we could do, like, whatever we wanted when uh, we wanted to on breaks and stuff, and uh, we actually learned. Did you actually have class with any of your friends? Um, no, not in-person school, because all of my friends ended up being in B group. So tell me about this A and B group thing. So, um, it depended on your last name initial, so whatever your last name started with. So, um, if your last name end, uh, began with, like, a letter below G, then, um, you were in B group. But if you were, um, but if you, um, had a letter that your na last name started with that was above the letter G, then you were most likely to be in A group. But some, um, kids couldn't do, uh... Mon uh, Wednesday or Friday or Tuesday or Thursday for A and B days. Um, so like they had to call, so their parents had to call the school and like uh talk with them so the uh so their uh child could be in the group that was um best for them. So you were in A group, and it turns out that most of your friends were not in A group, huh? Yeah. So you ended up getting split, and, and your, your friends that you've known since kindergarten were in different classes, and you really never got to see them, huh? Yeah. So tell me about wearing masks at school. Do, do you wear them the whole time you're at school? Um, no. We don't wear them the whole time because of lunch and snack, but um, we usually will wear them um, the whole day. So you wear them the, the whole time you're at school. What about lunch and recess? Uh, at recess, we used to be able to take off our masks, like, outside, but we can't anymore for some reason. Um, and inside, we can't take off our masks unless we, unless we have our divi dividers up and we're eating. So what can't you do right now at school um, uh, because of COVID? Um, we can't, like, do indoor recess, really. We have to bring in our own stuff to do. Um... Because we can't use any of this stuff in the classroom because of germs and stuff. And we can't use the playground outside. Right. Um, and we have to socially distance, wear a mask, and we have to sanitize the desk before we eat, too. Right. And, like, so you can't, like, play, like, you have time. You can't play checkers because you'd be too close to each other looking at each other. And, yeah. Yeah. That stinks. Um, so, how far apart do you have to sit from your uh, fellow students? Um. We're sitting at least 
four or five feet away from each other. Right. And you say there are barriers between you? Uh, yeah, when we eat, we put up the uh, cardboard dividers. Oh, so um, you can't see other people eating? No. Which might be a good thing, because sometimes people chew gross. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Would you, would you say that you learn more being at school, Sam, or at home doing distance learning? Um, in school, because um, if you are an A group or B group, you will have distance learning days with no live meetings, so you're basically on your own with... Um, not a lot of guidance at all to do your things. You will have to remember what the teacher tells you to do the uh, day you were in person. Um, so, yeah, you don't really have that much guidance. So uh, what are the things that you miss out on doing distance learning that you would be doing at school? Um, activities, for example, science. Um, so we, at the beginning of the year, was all distance learning, and we can do these activities that my teacher was doing um on the camera and we couldn't like feel certain things and stuff so we know what it was like to touch them and stuff mm -hmm. so like we couldn't do many of these science activities and we still can't even though we're in person because we would normally do them with partners and stuff so it's clear that you like in-person learning better than distance learning yeah yeah what's the what's the thing you like most about in-person learning that you can't do um distance? that like we can see our friends, like, in person. Like, we get to interact with them. Okay, all right. So I heard you'll be switching to four days of in-person school next month. Are you excited about that? Yes, I'm really excited. Do you worry about catching COVID-19 at school? No, not really. As long as everyone's really, like, wearing their masks and taking precautions and stuff, um, I will not worry at all. And what are you most looking forward to when you go back to having in-person school almost every day? Seeing all of my friends! <laughs> nice. nice. I'm excited for you, Sam. Um, thanks for being on our show. You were awesome. Um, now we have on the amazing little kindergartner, my six-year-old. Why don't you come over here, little buddy? I have some questions for you as well. Oh, yay. Now make sure you talk into the mic here. And uh, so let's start out. Um, how old are you? Six. And what grade are you in? Kindergarten. And what's your name? Brian. Brian. So when COVID started, you were still in preschool, huh? Yep. You went to Pete's sake preschool? Yeah. And then, it, and then just COVID happened. And then did you ever get to see your preschool teacher or your classmates again after COVID happened? No, I couldn't, um, like, see them and say goodbye to them. That's, that's terrible, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. how, did that make that? You how did that make you feel? Like, um, I never seen, like, me, like, saying bye to teachers. Yeah. But it felt sad. Um, it was bad. Did you miss them? Yeah. Yeah, and your friends, too? Yeah. You made some friends over there, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then you never got to see them again. And then, because it's preschool, that's it. You s they don't yeah. go to the same school system. Yeah. And then, uh, so that wasn't very good. But, all right, so preschool obviously didn't end on a great note. But this year you started kindergarten, right? Yeah. But you didn't actually get to meet your teacher in person, right? You started at school on the computer? Yes. Because that must have been weird, huh? Mm-hmm. How, how did you like that? Did you get to know your teacher? Yeah. Do, do you know her at all? I know her. And is she, is she nice? Yes. How her. tall is she? Um, like, as tall as Jeannie right over there. All right. All right, that's cool. So she, but you can tell from the computer. I'm just wondering, because you look at a little picture on the computer, you don't know how big people are in real life, right? Yeah, I don't know how 
big she is. I'm just saying it might she might be big as one of these pinball machines. Yeah, sure. All right. We're surrounded <laughs> by pinball machines. By the way. Yes, yeah, that's why he's referring to that. <laughs> so uh, do you like doing school on the computer or do you like to being in person at school? I like being in person because on the computer, I barely even learn it. Actually, I do not learn anything. <laughs> do you like your teacher? Yes. And what do you like most about being in person at school? Like um, breaks and um, special songs and um, Jack and Annie. Jack and Annie. All Love right. those novels, huh? Mm-hmm. Can I just ask, like, what do you want to learn at school? Um, like learning how big things are and... Um, <laughs> Mostly let's just learning about um um letters because um so we have sight words and um there's a picture and um each picture now I know because there's a thing on top that shows the ABCs. Yep. And so it's like like say when we learn about like B bab ba and we say like the whole word and stuff. Right. <laughs> cool. Uh do you wear your mask all day at school? Um we have um a lunch break. When we're done, we get to choose um a snack, and usually I always do. It's just I do always, and um so I pick two snacks always, cause um I always like um a little snack and lunch, and um and so snack break is after after a special area, and then um we get to have a snack, and we do not eat with our masks on. Now, how close do you sit from other kids in your class when you're eating uh, your snack? Like, uh, at the end of the couch. For me, at the end of the couch. All right, so he's, for our listeners, he's indicating a distance of about six feet, yeah. five or six feet. Um, do, you learn, do you learn better at school, or do you learn better at home on the computer? Way better at school, because I learn nothing on the computer. <laughs> nothing. Nothing, right? <laughs> nothing. You learn how to use a computer. That's true. That's very true. And I'll yeah. tell you this, Steve. Uh, he has, when we first did this whole thing, I was petrified because I'm like, my kindergartner has never used a computer. Like, he has no idea. Like, he's going to be confused. And to give this kid credit, man, he picked it up so fast. Put it this way he can now get himself fully into the classroom himself every morning. He can get the computer on. He knows his password, yep. which is like a 10 digit number. He memorized his password, right. types it in, knows exactly where to go and everything. I'm blown away. Yeah, you're frankly. better at this than my dad is, and my dad's 87. <laughs> So, Brian, do you miss your friends when you're doing school at home? Um, a little, because um, on breaks we get the chat and we do use the chat box. That's true. When the right. teacher's not, uh, not teaching, they let yeah. you stay on the Google Meet. Yeah, and we put, like, big numbers, like, one and nine 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 zero 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 and stuff. We do funny stuff on nice. the chat box. So in case anyone's wondering what a funny thing is to a kindergartner, typing really long numbers fits the bill. I, I love that. <laughs> uh, Brian, are you looking forward to going back to school four days a week next month? I'm not expecting that, but yeah. You're not expecting it, so you're yeah, you're cynical like a lot of us are. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I think it is going to happen. So. Uh, hopefully that'll be really exciting for you. You get to see all your friends and you'll see your teacher every, every almost every day. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. And then someday, you know, by the time you get to high school, you won't even remember this. This will be like, you'll be, have spent so much time in school. You'll be like, yeah, this is the normal way. Right now, it's just so unusual. But This is, know? yeah, this has been Brian's whole way of life pretty yeah. much for elementary school so far. And so it's been, it's been really bizarre. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on our show. <laughs> <laughs> You were both really good. It was really excellent. Thank you. All right. So there was uh, COVID-19 from a kid's point of view. I think that kind of summarized, at least, you know, from 
Cumberland school system point of view, if you will. <laughs> well, a K, uh, a K through, K through three. K through three, four, yeah, at least yeah. that summary. I'm sure the high school experience is, is different and, and all that. So yeah. um, a couple of little tidbits to, to end the show here today. Um, the Uprise website revamp is, uh, is coming soon. Now, um, we, did, we redesigned the website a couple of, of, of times in the last couple of years. You know, kind of minor layout changes with the content kind of remaining the same. But we've had a lot of requests over the past years, a uh, year, I should say, for things like an events calendar. One of the biggest requests we get yeah. nonstop is that, you know, hey, there was, a, there was a meeting or there was a protest or there was, a, you know, a direct action event or something. And I didn't know about it. And then you covered it. And I see the video now, but I would have liked to have gone. And we want to cater to that need. And so, unfortunately, the website layout system we have now doesn't make it easy to just implement a, 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 an events calendar on the homepage or where actually people would see it. So we've got to kind of redesign this thing from, from the ground up. And that's what I've been working on now. So we're going to try and give you guys everything you've asked for uh, feedback-wise that makes sense. So an events calendar is definitely one of those things. Calls to action. So for example, there's a bill coming up. Now, I know what you're thinking, wow, a news organization is going to have calls to action, direct people to action. Let's, let's be straight here. Every news organization has an agenda. Mm-hmm. Okay? Everyone has an agenda. Now, they may not tell you what their agenda is. They may, not, they may try to hide it. Okay? But everyone has an agenda. You know, for example, NBC10 is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. I think the agenda there is quite clear. They want to steer the news conversation to the far right. Uh, WPRI has an agenda, you know, and whether that be to to pitch certain stories to make advertisers happy and make money, you know, you'll see a lot of of local companies being talked about on local news, and that's not by accident. A lot of those same companies advertise on those stations, and having done this in the past myself, there is absolutely quid pro quo arrangements that take place. This happens in all sorts of media, whether it be the Valley Breeze, whether it be, you know, Channel 12, whether it be anywhere like that. You run an ad, and a lot of times there's an agreement where you can get coverage in, in turn. Right. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily in terms of, you know, the coverage shouldn't be lying and saying you're this when you're not. But the fact is, is that, you know, you get a business profile in a local paper, and then it's generally a lot of times because you ran an ad. So the point is, is that everyone has an agenda. Uprise's agenda is to cover human rights issues, progressive news, and things that, that we hope will make the world better, you know? And so calls to action on our website are not outside of, of our agenda and, and what we want uh, our, our, lists, our readers to be aware of. So if there is, you know, a minimum wage bill coming up, okay, uh, we're not going to necessarily tell you how to, to approach it or what feedback to give your legislator. But we're going to let you know, hey, this bill is coming up for a committee vote. Okay, Contact your legislator and give them your feedback yeah. you know, if you want. And here's how to do that. So we're going to make it, try and make it as easy as we can for you guys to take action based on the stuff we cover. Um, we also are going to have much better organized news sections. A lot of our good news sections sometimes get buried on the homepage. We also have a lot of them, so we can't include them all in the menu at the top. So we get that. Uh, so we're going to make that a lot easier to follow, okay. uh, a lot more little tidbits and side stuff in here. And it's going to be a, a really nice layout that we have complete full control over. Um, right now, we're kind of shoehorned into a – it's not a template, but it's a layout system that kind of has a limitation to what you can do. 
And it was kind of a, a, a speed thing. You know, I'm a web designer, but I didn't have the time because I run my own company. Mm-hmm. Didn't have the time to completely revamp Uprise's website from the scratch. And he so, does this all out of the goodness of his heart. Just want to say. <laughs> yes, Uprise does not pay me yeah, he's for not paid. our web work. Um, you yeah. know, and, and a lot of this is, has really never been said, but uh, I don't accept any money or any sort of compensation from Uprise as o- at all, despite being half owner. Um, you know, the, the, the revenues we take in from donations and ads uh, go to our reporters and they yeah. go to equipment. You know, for example, Steve had a laptop that was eight years old. We got him a new one. <laughs> yeah. And he's able to do a lot more, a lot faster. He's able to process stories quicker. So the donations you make to Uprise RI go to a good cause. Yeah. Um, Anyway, getting back to the website. So, yeah, so because I own my own company and was quite busy with that, I wasn't able to build Uprise's new website from scratch. So I kind of had to use a, a, a theme layout, so to speak, that kind of uh, did, a, did a few things for you. And now that I have the bandwidth to build the site from scratch, we're going to make it really, really nice. So I'm hoping by late spring uh, that's done. It may be done sooner. Who knows? But I don't want to give myself too short of a deadline. So we're saying... Uh, hopefully by by uh, late spring that'll be uh, all done. You'll nice. see the new Uprise RI, and it'll be really really cool. Um, it'll be so done. Right. It'll be done right. It'll right. be done right. Yes. Um, so uh, so that's as far as the website goes. Um, Rye Rank uh, is also doing. Uh, it's in, we're in ranking season right now. So we just released uh, election strength a couple yep. of weeks ago. That report, and then we're working currently on the social media. Report, which is going to include town halls. Last last year, 2020, our rankings for town halls was a separate report entirely because there was a lot you could have done with that. You know, uh, legislators could have in-person meetings and they could have a, a whole different variety of them. So we like to talk about like you know how they did that. But for uh, and I should should be referring to 2018, 2019, by the way, when I just spoke uh, with 2020. Unfortunately, due to COVID. Nobody was having in-person town hall meetings. Yeah. Just not safe. It wasn't happening. So we're not we're not requiring that legislators had that. It's just that's not fair. What we do, however, uh, certainly hope was that legislators held virtual town hall meetings because there's no excuse not to do that. Everyone's home. You have Zoom. You have a platform, whether it be your website, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, to let people know, hey. Uh, we can't meet in person, but I still value your feedback and would love to meet you and hear from you virtually. And so my you know, town hall is going to be so-and-so here. Here's the link, blah, 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 et cetera. Yeah. So we will be enforcing the town hall meetings requirement. Just it will be virtual town meetings that we'll be tallying. Because it's such a, a smaller part now, we're including it in the social media report. So the town hall meetings metric will be included in the social media report, which will also entail if legislators have a website. Uh, there's new criteria this time around in terms of having a website that's actually functional and provides the information that people are looking for, namely contact information. And so we, we without, I haven't released the met- metrics yet, I haven't published them so people know what they are, but we've determined them a while back. And the metrics for a website will include, for example, uh, do you have an email address and contact phone number on the homepage? All right, number one. Number two, is it easy to find? Do I have to go digging for it or is it right at the top? Things like that. So Having looked at the metrics, uh, it's interesting because some, I think we counted uh, in the Senate, two, two new members added websites that did not have them last year. So that's, that's nice. Yeah. And uh, I get it because it's an election year. It makes sense to have a website during election year. But hopefully the website sticks around for these people and they use it to update their constituents on what they're doing. 
Yeah. And I get that. We don't expect people to have updated websites with all the news that you're, you're doing because people are going to be on Facebook and Twitter more often than they're going to be on your website because it's just a you know, catch-all. So I get that. And as long as your website uh, makes it easy for people to contact you, you're going to do well in that metric. Then we look at Facebook and Twitter. And, and as before, we're looking at do you post to Twitter and Facebook? Now, last time we gave you credit if you had a profile, just had one. It could have been a Twitter profile you started in 1999, or yeah. when did Twitter come about? Not 19, and it wasn't in the 90s, <laughs> uh, 2004, 2005, whatever it was. Uh, the early stages of Twitter, you started a profile, and then boom, never touched it since then. Well, guess what? This time around, you're not going to get credit for that profile anymore because it's useless. And we tried to be lenient the first time, but the next time around, we have to make it useful now. So It surprises um, me how many people who are elected officials at the General Assembly don't have any access to Twitter whatsoever. Right, I'm, I, that just boggles me because it's like a modern day communication method that you would think any informed politician would have access to. Yeah, you look at it two ways. Number one, you can look at it in a positive way in terms of you know you're able to build buzz and get support behind your initiatives and actually talk to constituents directly. And on the other hand, you got people who might be afraid. Mm. Okay, you know, like a like a um, trying to think of some off the top of my head, like um, Carvisi or uh, Chacon. They're not on, on they social media. I don't know. think they're on social media at all. I don't know. They might. They I know one of them is not on an, entirely at all whatsoever. Yeah, no website. Corvisi, no, I believe, is not on at Yeah, all. I think it's Doc Corvisi. has yeah. no website, no social media whatsoever. Right. And, and this is the problem, guys. When people don't run against these folks, they don't have to try. Right. They don't have to try. And so there's no website. There's no there's social also, media. There's would, no way to get in touch with them except calling. While we're on this, let me just shout out... Um, Chippendale and Quattrochi, two uh, Republican reps who have blocked me on Twitter because <laughs> they don't like what I say. Which so, we're, we're not even sure if that's allowed. It's technically illegal as far uh, as I can tell. A, a public official is not supposed to be allowed to block constituents from talking with them. Now, Twitter is an interesting one because Twitter, okay, and this is how we enforce it with Rye Rank. See, on Facebook, we require that legislators have a separate Facebook page for their political career, uh-huh. okay? So you have your Steve Alquist, personal guy. Hey, how you doing? I love comic books and, and Avengers and stuff like that. And uh, then you have Steve Alquist, the you know senator from District 5 page, okay? And one is personal stuff. Hey, I went here and did this, and we went for ice cream and whatever. And then you've got your po- political page. You know, hey, we're having a constituent meeting or I'm sponsoring this bill, whatever. So on Facebook, it makes it makes they make it really easy to have two separate identities for yourself, and you should. So we enforce that with Rye Rank. We look at your official page as a member of the General Assembly. We do not look at your personal page. Hmm. Now on Twitter, okay, with the exception, I think, of like three members, I think Cynthia Mendez being the newest one, everyone just has one profile. Cynthia started a second one for her political you know, aspirations and, and a personal, making them separate. But most people, 98%, have just a single Twitter profile. So that's all we, we look at for Rye Rank. We look at your personal Twitter profile. Now, for people that have double, have two profiles, one for their, their member of the General Assembly and one for personal, we will look at the General Assembly one. Clearly, that's what you want us to do. That's what you're intended in this profile to be for. So that's what we'll look at. So having said that, uh, Twitter, it's kind of a mix, you know, personal and and per- professional in one profile from for the majority of people. Now, a lot of them, like Sam Bell, really only use it for the most part. 95% of the posts are political, and that's fine. But when you look at people like Doc Corvisi who have no social media at all, it kind of it's kind of insulting to your constituents. It kind of says, I don't care, and you know what? You're going to vote for me anyway because nobody runs against me. Yeah. Now, what you see is whenever someone has an opponent, 
all of a sudden, that incumbent just wakes up and decides, oh, hey, whoa, I need a website. I need this and I need that. And you'll see that. The new websites that we tallied were largely from incumbents who had competition in 2020. And most of them still lost, but they still started to try. So please, guys, if you're interested in running for office, just do it. Yeah, do competition it. makes for better public officials. It really and there's does. no embarrassment in losing, okay? Nobody ever remembers who lost. They just don't, except yeah. Nick Mattiello will all remember that. He <laughs> lost, and just don't ever forget that. But if you're, like, not a well-known name like a Nick Mattiello and you lose the election, nobody's going to remember that. Don't be embarrassed. And- just try it. You know? It's shots on goal. You know, it's a matter of getting out there, walking your district and meeting people. Even in COVID, you could do it. You knock on the door, it takes four steps back. And our friend, at, our friend Jen Douglas at, at uh, Can We Fix It? Yeah. She perpetually runs every, every election. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's, who's she running against? Elaine, is it Elaine Morgan? Yeah. 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 So granted, it's a, a, clearly a conservative district because Elaine keeps winning. But uh, she runs every single – she's made it kind of like a, a, a meme to run every two years. And right. she's a great person. She'd make an excellent legislator, She'd I think. She'd be a good legislator, yeah. uh, So it's not like she's doing it as a joke, you know, but, but just run. It, it's just run and just give people an option. Give people a choice. Say, if you don't like this guy, Corvisi, uh, then, then run against him. But, but he's going to be the guy if nobody runs against him. So that's our show for this week. Steve, you got anything else? Uh, no, I'm good. This has been a, a good show. Uh, next week we'll definitely have a guest. We will have a guest next week, and Not we'll sure tell you. Be, but I would love to talk about the med recycle pyrolysis thing yes. in West Warwick. So yes. I'm going to try to get somebody on to talk about that. And that is my goal. So. so pyrolysis is some creepy form of disposing of medical waste where they just burn it. Yep. Burn medical waste. You know, you hear how medical waste is so terrible and awful, and it is. Uh, well, guess what? We're going to burn it and aerosolize it in the air. Good yeah. luck. Yeah, turn, that's, They want to turn it into oil so they can burn that oil for fuel. Yep. Leaves yep. nothing behind but lots of heavy metals, toxics, sludge that is so toxic, you can't be in the same room with it. So bad. Yeah. So bad. Amazingly, like. amazingly stupid idea. And guess what? We're going to bring it to West Warwick, East Greenwich Line. We're going to put it right there because right next to a daycare center. But wait, but wait, there's more. It's not just Rhode Island medical waste. Yeah. It's all of New England's right. medical waste. Truck loads of medical waste coming from all over New England and New York. To Rhode Island, to West Warwick, to a med recycle plant, which will turn it into a toxic oil to be burned for fuel. Yes, we're going to burn tumors and blood and, and all sorts of fun <laughs> and stuff. Every, every, yeah, it's just um, it's an insane idea. Um, it's got some support. Well, if that idea pisses you guys off, as it should, yeah. then tune into the show next week and we'll give you some calls to action you can take yeah. to stop this from happening. Yeah, we're going to stop it. So that's our show this week. If you have feedback on the show, we'd love to hear it. You can email podcast at rifp.co. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and all the other podcast services, Stitcher, to name one. Support our show. You can visit upriseri.com and click donate. Like I said earlier, your money goes to a very good cause. Tune into our sister podcast, Can We Fix It? who refuses to promote us every week, but we'll still keep doing it because we love you, Mara. Mara and Jen, Fridays at 12 p.m. on Uprise RI. Parental discretion is advised. In (laughs) fact, uh, all sorts of discretion is advised. For the latest news on renowned politics, climate change, and activism, visit your leader in progressive politics, UpriseRI.com. Have fun. Get out there. (laughs) Do your thing. Steve, it's been a pleasure, man. Absolutely. This is always great. Thank you. Uh, Have a great week, everyone. Tune in next week, and we'll see you then. Take care.